Welcome to Ride Pure, the Royal Enfield podcast. A podcast about Royal Enfield motorcycles, the people who create and build them, you, the people that ride them, the things you do to them, and the places you explore on them. I'm Gordon May, Royal Enfield's historian, author, and overland motorcycle traveler, and I'll be hosting today's timeless classic episode. So join us as we make our final visit to South Africa to meet a very passionate and well-known classic rider, Sabrina Schoder. Originally from Germany, Sabrina runs Retza, Classic Enfield Tours South Africa, from its headquarters in Cape Town. It's great to have you with us, Sabrina. And um, we're going to be talking about the classic, of course, and about your wider motorcycling experience, which I understand is mostly on Royal Enfields. Tell, tell us about your first ride on one. Uh, hi, Gordon. Thank you so much for, for having me. Um, yes, uh, my, my first ride on a Royal Enfield actually was in India in the Himalayas. It was also my very first motorcycle trip in my life, which expanded beyond maybe riding a kilometer around the block where I was living earlier in Mumbai. So it was a lot of um, excitement, adventure, and um, yeah, nervousness as well, being the first time on a, on a 500cc on a Royal Enfield that I had always dreamt of, of riding um, for, for many, many, many years. And I was lucky to have that experience while riding on the Royal Enfield. And I must say, it was—it it actually changed my life. It, it was probably one of the best experiences that I had at that moment. And um, it made that experience of riding in the Himalayas even more special and adventurous uh, than I that, had hoped. And that's kind of being thrown in at the deep end, isn't it? You haven't ridden a 500 before and there you are in Never. the Himalaya. I know it was everything was new I, until then I had only ridden on a 100cc motorcycle maybe even like a 225 um, but only stayed in Mumbai riding around the neighborhood not really haven't done any um, any larger rides or longer rides as such um, so uh, because you know when you when you start riding it's often um, especially I think as a woman you're a bit more petite you're smaller handling larger engines can be a bit intimidating at first or the weight itself so um it was my first time having such a heavier bike and it was just surprisingly easy and beautiful to ride it. So I was surprised by um, the handling of the bike, how it felt riding it. And, you know, after like taking a little ride through Manali at that point, um, you get very comfortable very quickly. And then it felt just like second nature, to be honest. I, it, it just felt like this is what I meant to do. And every day just kept confirming that. And, you know, when you ride in the Himalayas, every day becomes more intense and more difficult and more challenging. And what you thought on day one, Rotang Pass, is, oh, my God, that's the, the most difficult thing. On the next day, you figure out, oh, it wasn't. Then this is probably the most difficult thing. And it continues to do so. Um, and you keep growing alongside your bike and then the entire experience. And I think that's when I really fell even more so in love with the bike, with the, with the classic that I was riding at the time and um, Royal Enfield as a brand, because I think the bike and I, um, yeah, we, we became very good friends. It saved my life probably more than once. Um, and that's why I have immense trust in it as well and continue riding it. So t t can you tell us a little bit, expand on the experience of uh, the, the bike saving your life more than once? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, as a, as an, new rider you or that in my experience I, I became very quickly very overconfident you know when everything goes just smooth and you keep riding and you're like oh my god I'm like invincible I'm like the best rider ever I'm natural and you get this feeling of wow uh, this is just so easy why haven't I done this before and, and it is but becoming very overconfident means you become less um 
cautious while riding, which I should have been. So while I was cruising through those mountains, um, the road was beautiful and I was just, you know, going a bit faster than I should have and a higher gear than I should have. And there was this one bend that I underestimated. It was a 90 degree bend. So um, I was too fast to actually ride it. So it threw me off the curve into the rocks. Um, there was a big valley down there, a river, gorgeous. But in my mind, I was like, okay, this is it. This is how I'm going to end my life. I was content with that because I was doing what I loved. But fortunately, I didn't fall. The bike just, you know, kept me upright. We were just tumbling through those bigger rocks down towards that valley, but eventually it came to a halt and I was just facing back to that road. And I didn't even know what was happening, but I found myself still sitting on that bike, standing upright. My friends who came towards me after me, they just looked at me oddly like, Seb, why are you standing facing our direction in the rocks? What, what are you doing there? Because it didn't even look like I had a cra almost near-death experience. But um, from that moment, I took it a bit easier, were a bit more cautious riding. My friend said, Seb, rather slower and longer than faster and shorter. That's a very, very good advice that I still hold close um, to my heart when I write these days. So, um, yeah, so I was very grateful for having the Royal Enfield and I really fully attribute this to that bike <laughs> that it kept me up right there. Um, and it's, it's shaping my riding style, I think till today as well. Yeah. So, um, now you're based in South Africa and you run, uh, Retza, um, a Royal Enfield touring company in South Africa. How did that come about? I'm pretty much on that same trip. <laughs> um, so um, while I was uh, on that trip, um, inspired by my dad, who said we must ride on this trip together. Um, on that particular ride that I was on, um, I met that um, guy from South Africa, Adish, who is now my business partner. So we became friends, and he shortly after um, proposed that we should, just for fun, have two Royal Enfields and place them in Cape Town. I had hadn't been to South Africa in many, many years before that. And it sounded just like a wonderful hobby to have because he is very passionate about riding Royal Enfields and so am I. And I was in Mumbai at that point. So it's just sounded something lovely to do. You know, other people might pick up other hobbies, minus having motorcycles placed in random places, I guess. Um, and as it so happens, once you have two motorcycles, shortly after you have three and four and six, and then we had 12. And it just organically grew into a wonderful business that eventually... Um, made me want to move more permanently to Cape Town. So I'm based between India and Cape Town at the moment, more often in Cape Town. I will be in India still for many months in a year, um, especially during the summer. I will base myself in the Himalayas to ride tours there. But yeah, it, it is something that came out of full passion for that particular bike, for the classic. So the fleet that we have are all classic and fields. We have 20, 20 motorcycles right now um, in South Africa. And it's um, yeah been a fantastic journey so far based on that one experience in the Himalayas, to be honest. It's pure so coincidence. Are, you actually get out on the bikes and, and, and ride and lead the tours, do you? Yes, we do. We do everything from, you know, rentals, one-day trips, morning coffee rides. We had a wonderful one this weekend as well. Um, but we also do longer overland tours, like 10-day trips through all of South Africa, which, you know, takes you along the beautiful coastline, but also into the off-road areas, the mountain areas, the desert areas. So it's a mix of everything. And I often lead those tours if I'm not just taking a bike on my own and just explore new areas in South Africa that I haven't been to yet. So I like just doing little reckeys um, in South Africa, but also everywhere where I am. So whenever I travel across the world, I always make sure I find some Royal Enfield somewhere that I can get to ride and explore that area. It's um, just a beautiful way to, I think, connect with the country um, as well as the people of that country. I would imagine with a, uh, a touring company, you get a lot of riders who haven't ridden a Royal Enfield before. What 
kind of reaction do you get from mm. them? Well, I think the Royal Enfield is a bike that's very easy to fall in love with. It's um, it's a very charming motorcycle that appeals to a very large target audience. So you don't really have that one particular type of of rider that you know you would associate with that bike. I think in my mind, when I think of other motorcycle brands, whether it's a Harley Davidson or a BMW, so I have a certain image associated with it. And when you think motorcycle groups generally it has a certain image no matter which bike they're riding and i don't find that true for or that to be true for a royal enfield because you find the 18 year old who's just you know a novice rider and is falling in love with that vintage old school charm of the bike and the look and then you get also the elder riders um maybe in the 60s and 70s that remember riding similar looking bikes in their younger years and now want to experience this. And then you get everyone in between who's keen to have something that's a bit more maybe authentic or raw in its experience, but gives you that um, yeah vintage look and uh, yeah authentic feel of riding essentially, because you have that thumb, you have the vibrations and it's, I think that's all part of the experience. You don't really get this on any other bike. Um, and I think that makes it really a very beautiful package for anyone who wants just to cruise along the road or take it off-road and you, you have the ability to do both with it and you're not defined just by one particular riding style. So it's beautiful. You get, you know, women, you get um, youngsters, you get um, the fully experienced rider who just want to switch it up once in a while and that just keeps it quite um, beautifully mixed up. Mm. And do, do you use one of the bikes for your, you know, general everyday riding as well? I'm, yes. cu I'm curious to curious to hear what kind of reaction you get from people in <laughs> South Africa to you know to you on on, on the on, on the classic. Mm. Uh, I, yes, of course, I use it for my regular commuting as well, and um, that's one thing that I love about it. When you when you ride through the, the city or wherever you are, actually, people haven't seen the bike often, and they, it's not something that common that you would encounter on the road, and it has a very iconic look to it. So people stop you on the road, or they wave at you, they approach you. So even when I'm just at a, at a signal stopping, waiting for you know the signal to switch to green, I have people in the car rolling down their window, asking me about the bike, and saying, oh, great bike. When I'm on the highway, you see people you know, uh, passing by in their cars and giving a thumbs up because they love the look and the bike um, so much. Mm -hmm. So it's really something very... Um, yeah, very charming and um, inclusive because everyone seems to um, really like that that bike and you as a rider on it. So it's something that makes you interact with whoever you encounter on the road and that I keep seeing on a daily basis almost. Yeah, perhaps we should explain uh, for the listeners at this mm. point that there isn't a Royal Enfield distributor in South Africa. So um, th there aren't that many on yes. the roads of the country. That is true. But I also think that even if they were, I think it just looks different to a lot a lot of other bikes. It's neither that very modern or that very naked kind of look that you find with a lot of bikes. It's still when you look at the engine, it's it's an engine. You know, I always like to compare it to, you know, old, right, driving an old-timer classic car. When you open up the hood, you see actually an engine inside. It's not yeah. covered like those modern cars, which you open up and you look at a plastic cover and you have no idea what's underneath. So I think that particular style is still something that's appealing to a lot of people. And um, that's something that you still see in your daily experience while riding it as well. 
And talking with the designers of the classic, that's one of the things that came out was uh, in its design was the challenge of still showing the engine and all those working mm. components, but at the same time disguising or uh, putting it in the correct place modern things such as an ECU and a fuel pump. Um, and it works, I think, very much. Absolutely, yes, yeah. very much so. Um, so do you go riding off-road in South Africa? Because uh, there are a lot of dirt roads and rocky trails around the country. Is that something you've been able to do? Yes, I have. I do enjoy it very much. There are amazing routes that lead you off-road and to, you know, the desert areas, into the Karoo, um, beautiful mountain passes as well. I do like riding gravel. I think the, the Enfield, the Classic, rides very smoothly on it as well. We do equip it. I like to have my, my extra equipment, like an engine protection plate, and I have my crash guards just in case something happens. Because you, if you go off-road, and it's South Africa, like if I ride in India, I know there are a lot of people around me all the time. So even if you go off-roading there, it's very likely to encounter someone in a very short period of time if something happens. In South Africa, it's a very big country, and um, it's not so heavily populated, which means... There's a chance that if something happens, you might be there for quite quite some time <laughs> before <laughs> someone finds you. So you want to make sure you're all geared up and then have your things with you. But I do enjoy that. In fact, we have also done some tours to encourage other riders to come ride off-road on those bikes because not everyone um, expects it from that kind of motorcycle. And I think it's really nice to, to have this kind of um, opportunity to experience riding a classic on gravel as well and see how smoothly it actually goes. It has this very high torque that gets you through every river, through every rock, if you take it a bit slower as well. So yes, I do um, try to explore more areas and I still have so much to explore and see. There's so many areas that I'm yet to encounter and ride through. But um, the Eastern Cape is, I think, the last one I went through and there were certain off-road the parts that I went through with a lot of potholes, but leading me through beautiful forests with hundreds of butterflies flying around me. And I had a few of those local farmers approaching me and asking me to turn back, going to the safe main road. And I'm less like, no, I think I can do this. I know what I'm doing. If I'm not coming out on the other end, go find me, but I'm confident I can do it. And I did. It was a fantastic, fantastic riding experience. Awesome. Awesome. Mm. Uh, tell us a little bit perhaps about the... Royal Enfield community in South Africa. Uh, you know, I, I guess from what you're saying, it's quite a small community. Um, can you tell us what they get up to? Of course. Um, the community, well, I'm actually not sure if it's really still that small because it, they keep coming out of little pockets and I keep finding more and more of them. So there are quite um, a few Royal Enfield owners scattered across South Africa. There's, I think, quite a larger riding community in the Joburg area. Cape Town has quite a few numbers now and along the Garden Route as well. And they're beautiful people. It's really fascinating to meet all those um riders that have found their way to the Royal Enfield for many different reasons. And again, they are the young riders, the older ones, the women. It's it's really a lovely mix of people that I encounter and they're wonderful people so far. So wherever I go, wherever I ride, I keep reaching out. They reach out to us as well. And we have been able to connect with them and go on rides together. And they're very passionate. They love the bike. They're really looking forward to more experiences with the classic on the Royal Enfield and um, yeah, just expanding on those experiences and touch points with the brand itself because they all fell in love for their own reasons with the brand and the bike and they continue to do so. And we keep seeing more and more people being interested in it as well and wanting to ride it. Um, yeah. Um, 
you're not joining us from South Africa today, however. You're <laughs> you're in the Netherlands. Um, tell us what you're doing there. Um, you know, um, yes, I am in the Netherlands right now. I've been here for the last two, two and a half weeks. Um, and next week I will be heading to Germany, which is where I'm from, and visit my family. I haven't been in Europe for now over one and a half years because of the pandemic. So it's my first time coming back here. So I'm doing a little bit of holidays, but also, of course, working um, remotely in the meanwhile and, and looking after South Africa. But yeah, so I'm, I'm here exploring the country a little bit. I had the opportunity to even go on a short ride, which was very exciting. Um, I ended up riding a few other models besides the classic here. And I even sat on the Himalayan ridden by Itchy Boots um, around the world, which was quite special to me because she's a fantastic rider and um, inspiration as well, I think, to many, many riders uh, in general. So it's, yeah, I'm here right now enjoying the Dutch summer, which is often a lot of rain as well. <laughs> um, but yes, so that brings me here. And then next month I'll be heading back to South Africa, I think. So tell us about the bikes you've been riding there. I had the wonderful opportunity to ride on the Meteor for the first time, which is, I think, the latest edition. And that was very interesting, very smooth. I hadn't been on one yet. And I was able to ride a little bit for like half an hour, an hour around the Netherlands on it. It's a very smooth engine. It's a 350cc that I rode and I was surprised how powerful it feels um, compared to the 350s that I had experienced early in India um, on the previous classics. So it's, it's a beautiful newly designed engine and the entire riding feel is very different, very comfortable as well. Um, and yeah, it was surprisingly smooth and then afterwards i was able to ride the 650 continental gt for a much longer time um i think we did like a 300k run on that day and it's again the 650s i think are wonderfully designed engines they're very smooth they always remind me of riding bikes like a triumph which i had done on, on another bike trip earlier but it's, it's really the same kind of feel it, it doesn't it's completely re-engineered, so you can feel that it's uh, the quality is fantastic, the power that it generates is beautiful, and the entire comfort of the bike is really on a, such a different high level compared to um, other experiences that it's uh, beautiful to see where the brand is taking these bikes. And they still remain those vintage classic, you know, bikes and, and in terms of design and look that makes it still very much Royal Enfield the way you knew it. Mm. And then you're heading out to India as well? Not sure yet. I'd like to, but it's still, I think, quite challenging to travel internationally to India at the moment. I will be going back definitely as soon as the opportunity arises. Latest next year, where I will be again in India for, to ride in the Himalayas for at least two or three months. But yes, my bike is still, my personal bike, my Himalayan is still parked in Delhi. So I'm missing it very much and I hope I can go back to it very soon and ride across India and up to the mountains and Kashmir and yeah, all the plans that I had. I'm yet to visit um, certain areas in India that I haven't been to yet and they're on my bucket list and then yes I hope so, so. so how do you do this you you head out into the mountains on your own find a route and then you organize a tour around it is that the way you uh, well there are two things if I, if I if I do it from my company in South Africa then we're regularly running motorcycle tours in the Himalayas where we are inviting people to join us so between June and September we have scheduled tours in the Himalayas and I will be on those tours leading those tours as well so that's one thing that I will be doing and look very much forward to but if it's just me then I just take my bike and I head out so I I know 
people in India in different areas that I would like to visit, that I've connected with, um, people I've connected with and might not have not met yet. You know, the community of Royal Enfielders, I think, across the world is just really special and they're wonderful people that reach out to each other and connect with each other in the most amazing ways and invite each other over. So I always see if wherever I want to ride, there are people that I would like to connect with and visit them to have a, a chai, a coffee along the way or chat and then just right you know you, you strap your duffel bag on it make sure it sits tight and then follow the road often so I pre-plan certain areas and and explore the area I think it's nice to have certain things set in stone where you want to go your beginning and your end point maybe um, but also have additional time available so that you can be as flexible as you want to because sometimes you encounter new people you see a new route you see something where you're like oh I didn't know about it I would like to to go and explore that more and if your route is too rigidly planned you won't be able to have that time and then you lose out on many opportunities so yes plan the broad outline but keep it flexible as much as you can at the same time yeah i completely agree with that yeah that's and, mm. and often the most the, the, the surprising encounters you have because of that flexibility are the, the ones you treasure the most when you get home absolutely very mm. much so um, throughout this uh, Timeless Classic series, we've been asking people, we've been giving them a challenge, which is to tell us what they love about their classic in as few words as possible. Hmm. So I'm going to throw that challenge your way now. <laughs> okay. And there's a few words as I can. I would say it's um, instant love and endless adventures. Wow. That, that was... That came across brilliantly and, and, and so instantaneous as well. Yes. Uh, well, it is, I think, um, yeah, I think it sums it pretty much up my entire experience because um, I fell in love with the bike instantly and uh, I, it takes me on so many adventures that I... Um, I'm very much looking forward to do more so. So just give me one second. I think there's a lot of background noise. Can you hear that right now when I'm talking? Yeah, so a plane going overhead. Um, no, just give me one second in case. It actually is. It's in front of my house. So let me just stop that for a second because I think it will rec um, interfere sure. with the recording. Just give me one second. That's no problem. Ian Praveen, did, did that, have we got enough? Oh, I'm feeling fine. It's just uh, thinking of the questions to ask. <laughs> um, Praveen, did you find that list of original questions we had? There is silence. Hmm. Hmm. All right, I'm back. Sorry about that. That's all right. Look, I live on the flight path to Manchester Airport, so I have, <laughs> I have planes, you know, two minutes away from landing going over the top. And uh, as Ian will testify, when I've been recording the introductions to these, you know, the, I'll say, oh, stop, there's a plane going over it. Oh, there's a truck <laughs> going up the road. So it's uh, it's no problem. We're used to it. Hmm. Um <laughs> nice one. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, 
I'm trying to look through uh, a list. Yeah, your moniker, Alien Bombay Global Nomad. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, Bombay Global Nomad. That's... um, well, when, when, when we joined Instagram, all of us right, we had to come up with a nice name. And I felt, I think it very much sums up who I am and my entire experience. So I lived in Mumbai or Bombay for over 13 years, and it very much led to everything that I am today. I, I think it, uh, India is a fantastic country that enables your dreams to come true. It's, it's, for me, this is really the country of endless opportunities. So it's very close to my heart living in, in, in Mumbai and I learned how to ride a motorcycle there, so I'm very grateful for that. I actually learned how to ride a motorcycle in Bombay. So when I moved to other parts of the world and wanted to ride there, I had to learn how to ride within rules and traffic and not be as flexible in my riding style as I am when I ride in India, (laughs) if that's the right way to express that. And Global Nomad, yes, I like traveling. I've traveled most of my life in the last 14 years. I've traveled all across the world. And I do feel sometimes like a nomad because I never really have a permanent base as such. And I'm very flexible and easy to move from one place to the other. And global because the world is your oyster. So I see myself more as a global citizen than belonging to a particular country although i do have my currently my basis in india and south africa and i am european but you know this is all very fluid and i feel like i belong to all of them so yes bombay global nomad that is the reason for it brilliant i'm gonna have to say the introduction to that because i got alien in front of that where did i get yes is alien correct is that no no. there is no where did i get that from then (laughs) when i saw your name coming up you, you know that's that's what I read. So um, how bizarre. That's what <laughs> yeah. it shows before yeah. we log in on Google. I'm sure it says alien. Maybe it says alias and I need it's, to put my reading glasses on. It's probably alias. It's, it's Alexa. Oh, no. What it says is Alexa. Alexa Bombay Global Nomad. Right. That's what you would see. So, yeah. Alexa, yeah, if you see that, <laughs> Alexa is my second name. So my full name is Sabrina Alexa. Right. And then you would have, so what you would have seen on Google is uh, my, my name. Uh, before that. Okay. Ian, I'm going to re-record that question so I'm not accusing Sabrina <laughs> of being an alien. <laughs> so maybe you can uh, cut this in. So please tell us about... Uh, um, so I, I couldn't help noticing your moniker as we were signing in, and it's Alexa Bombay Global Nomad. Perhaps you can tell us where that came from. Yes, of course. Well, uh, Bombay Global Nomad, I think, sums very much up who I am. I lived in Mumbai or Bombay for almost 12, 13 years, which is also where I learned how to ride a motorcycle. So it's very close to my heart and it has led to everything I think who I am today and where I am today because India and Bombay is for me the the place of endless opportunities and it has really um, helped me to to be who I am, led me into motorcycling adventures and led me to traveling across the world which then brings me to being a nomad because I really enjoy traveling across the world. I've had the fantastic opportunity to do so across my my past 10-14 years and see a lot of the world whether it's on motorcycles or not and Hence, I consider myself being a little bit of a nomad. I don't really have a permanent fixed base. Yes, I do live in different countries, currently South Africa, India, and a little bit of Europe, but that's all very fluid and flexible, and I like to to keep 
you know, living that way for some time. And global, yes, I think of myself being more of a global citizen rather than belonging just to one country. So it's Bombay Global Nomad. And Alexa is actually my second name. So my name is Sabrina Alexa. And sometimes when I feel very adventurous, I think it's a bit my um, alter ego <laughs> that lets me go on adventure. So I do, I am very fond of Alexa as well. And that's where that comes together. Brilliant. Thanks for explaining that. Um, South Africa obviously it's at the very uh, southern tip of the African continent and um, uh, some of the other people we've spoken to on the Timeless Classic series have, have told us about their dreams of venturing on long overland journeys um, up the continent. Is that something that you have in mind for yourself? Well, it certainly is a very big adventure. I would like to ride from Mumbai to Cape Town, actually. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we had, um, me and my business partner, we had in mind anyways at one point to take a classic and just ride up, you know, through Africa. Either direction actually works, but maybe from Mumbai and ending in Cape Town would be fantastic because you have a lot of very interesting countries there. I think it's a very iconic route to ride with a lot of also challenges and unknowns. I think Africa itself as a continent is probably still less explored than many other continents that you have or where people usually end up riding through more often than um, in Africa. I, for, for instance, have not been to any of the other African countries yet, um, at least not Central Africa, and I'm very curious to see those. So, yes, riding up to Namibia could be fascinating with all the desert and the sand or going up through Lesotho, South Africa again, and Mozambique and further up north. And I think um, as a woman, however, it might, certain countries might be more challenging than they are for men. Um, compared to riding through Asia, for instance, where you don't have certain restrictions. So that's something that would be a bit tricky to figure out, but definitely very adventurous. So, yes, I could imagine having a bunch of South African riders going up there as a little route and going on that adventure together, which would be fantastic. Mm. One day, perhaps. Mm. One day. One, hopefully, hopefully sooner than later. <laughs> and I know that in some of the countries there are Royal Enfield owners, so even across the the African continent, people have been reaching out to us to connect and say, hey, we're here. So it would be lovely to keep connecting with Royal Enfield riders across that route as well, of course. Yeah, yeah. I recently yeah. discovered there's a Royal Enfield dealership in uh, Nairobi in Kenya. Yeah. So, you know, ha halfway on, on the route between the Cape and Cairo. Yeah, there's is, some in know, Tanzania as well. So it's, it yeah. makes for a beautiful route. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. Um, so, Ian, uh, can, you, can you cut out this sort of rambling lead that I give to Sabrina now because <laughs> I've run out of questions? Um, but uh, is there anything that sort of springs to your mind, Sabrina, that we haven't spoken about that we can cover in this? Good question. Um, give me a moment to think. Um any of your really, maybe some really funny anecdotes from riding that you could share with us? Some of the funny things that's happened to you? Oh, funny things. <laughs> These are all the questions that, oh, I need to think about funny things. Um, well, I mean, of course, when you, when you, funny things keep happening, especially I think if you are a female rider, it's still something that's very unexpected in a lot of places where you go whether yeah different countries i think still in europe as well it's not the most common thing to see women riding motorcycles so especially when i ride through india and i've done a wonderful 
coastal, yeah, coastal and mountain trip actually, just before the pandemic, where I rode through South India from Chennai down to its uh, Pondicherry and further down to Kodak, uh, to the most southern tip, up into the mountains towards Kodak Canal, the tea plantations, and then back to Chennai. And on that trip, of course, once in a while you do get stopped by a police officer for whatever reason, right? Um, and I remember that in in India, he stopped me and I got a bit nervous because for some reason, I'm always nervous. I think all of us are when the police stops you. We all believe like we've done something with the biggest criminals for no reason. But um, so I got stopped as well. And the moment, you know, because I was wearing a full face helmet he, and being fully geared up, he couldn't tell that I am a, a woman and be a foreigner. So as soon as I lifted up my helmet, he just waved me through because I think even he got more scared than I was at that point. <laughs> for some reason, he got so shocked by seeing me. I was like, okay, that's a great way to go through those situations. Um, and even here in, in South Africa, when I rode and the police stopped me just to control, you know, licenses, which they do occasionally uh, without any, any particular reason to stop you per se, but they did. And um, I had to produce my license and my driver's license is an Indian license. So that's usually sparks a lot of conversation. They get very happy and very curious about India. And, you know, you suddenly end up having a lovely conversation on the side of the road, explaining why you as a German woman have an Indian license in South Africa. Uh, but it's, it's always lovely. And then they wish you always, you know, Godspeed, ride safe, go on your adventure. And they had a, had a happy day as well at that point. So uh, this is, I think, something that I really enjoy about riding, these surprising little moments where everyone is just eventually very happy about meeting each other. Mm. Mm. Um, so you're riding in the Netherlands on the Meteor and the 650 GT on an Indian driving license, are you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating that, uh, you know, your trail uh, across countries and continents and the, 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 the way that that shapes your riding, yeah. It is, it is. But I have to say that next week when I'm in Germany, I'm also going to make my German license. So just so that I have the two, I'm finally converting. I'm, I'm able to convert my license, fortunately, so that I also have a European license. And then that would be an official one for, for Europe as well. But yeah, no, this Indian license has taken me places and it's been fantastic. Um, it has been also an interesting experience getting that initially. But um, yes, it's something that is very valuable to me and I hold deeply mm. close to so me. when you say convert it does that mean you it's just a bureaucratic uh paper trail or is it something you do you actually have to take a test i have to take a test so right. um i, I, I could, imagine I, german <laughs> tests to be very rigid <laughs> i don't know i will tell you next week i will um yes yeah, so the funny part is um you have certain countries you can convert one-to-one -one and you don't have to do anything but other countries where the um the process of getting your license is too far away from the German process, for instance, which is very rigid, then you still have to do the test. So I did my theory test um, two years back before the pandemic, and then the pandemic struck, so I couldn't go back to complete my practical test, which I have to do now. So I have to actually take driving lessons, <laughs> um, which is funny. So um, I have to do one or two, and then I have to just show up for the test and complete the test. And then it's more of a formality than anything else. But yes, I'm quite curious to see how that goes, because yes, um, the German, I think, driver's license is known to be very detailed and rigid and intense so if i remember that correctly for my car license but yes that's going to happen next week and then um yeah i have a full german license as well in addition to my indian one. Oh, we wish you luck with that thank you very much <laughs> yes well thank you very much for joining us today sabrina it's been fascinating talking with you and uh we wish you lots of luck not only with your german 
motorcycle driving mm -hmm. license, but also with all your future rides. Thank you very much for having me. It was lovely chatting to you. And I always enjoy talking about Royal Enfield with another fellow Royal Enfield enthusiast, of course. So yes, thank you very much. It's been great. Okay. Thank you. Well, that seems like the perfect place to end. Thank you for tuning in to listen. And thanks once again to our guest, Sabrina Shoda, for sharing her stories with us. But before we say goodbye, here's another Gordon's History Nugget. When the Classic was launched in 2008, it was the first Royal Enfield four-stroke developed in India with a unit construction engine. Indeed, most people refer to that engine as the UCE, an initialism of unit construction engine. But the UCE Classic wasn't the first Royal Enfield of all time to have a UCE. That title belongs to the 250cc Crusader. Rolling off the Redditch production line in August 1956, the Crusader was quite a departure from Royal Enfield's traditional design practices. Its 70mm bore and 64.5mm stroke was markedly over square, resulting in a lively engine that loved to be revved. Everything was ensconced in its highly polished aluminium cases, crankshaft, gearbox, clutch, oil tank and AC generator, which were then adorned with a stylish winged RE badge. The press loved it when it was unveiled at the London Motorcycle Show, calling the Crusader deluxe, sleek, modernistic and eye-catching, and its engine compact, brisk and mechanically quiet. The unit construction Crusader spawned a dynasty of superb 250cc Royal Enfields, from the Crusader Sports and Super 5 right through to the iconic 250 Continental GT. Oh, and that winged RE casting on its engine covers. That was beautifully replicated on the 2008 and onwards UCE engine, a fitting tribute to the first Royal Enfield UCE. Well, that really is all for now. Do remember to join us for the next Radpure podcast. If you have ideas and suggestions for future episodes, do get in touch by email. RidePurePodcast at RoyalEnfield.com And if you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like, add us to your favourites, or even leave a review. To ensure you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until then, we wish you great roads and safe riding.